I think I've told you this before, but um, I, I've got a little bit of a cold this morning, and so I'm doing some cough drops and things, so forgive me if my voice changes a little bit. Uh, but I went one time to a church to speak, and I was having the same issues, and a guy came up to me and he goes, listen, I've got something, don't worry. And he, he handed me these drops, and I found out later they were called Fisherman's Friend. Have you heard of those? And I dropped them into my suit pocket. Do you remember suits at church when people used to wear? I dropped them into my suit coat pocket. And uh, I remember during the service, I started to get that feeling. And so I reached into my pocket and I put something in my mouth. And I thought, man, this is really lasting long, this drop. It's going on and on and on. I've told you this, haven't I? And uh, I don't know if you remember, but in suits, they used to keep buttons, spare buttons and things. For your suit, you know, like if you lost a button, you could reach in and get it. And that's what I pulled out. And so I put a, a button in my mouth, and I had a button in my mouth. And pretty soon I could feel the little holes in it, you know what I mean, with your tongue and things. And I thought, wow, I, I thought I could speak as long as the cough drop lasted. Well, I found out I couldn't. So, so this morning, if I if I start to lose my voice, um, don't worry, I'll keep going, and uh, you won't get out early. No, I'm just kidding. What a great thing it is to uh, be a person that God decides he wants to use you. And in Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 and following through verse 9, God chooses Joshua. God chooses Joshua. Now we've heard a lot about Joshua and several stories about him and Caleb and all those kinds of things. But here's the moment. Here's the moment where Joshua says, uh, when God says to Joshua, you're up. You're the guy. It's your time. It's your turn. And in Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9, that's what we find out about. We find out about what it is that Joshua is going to do and what God's going to do for Joshua. In Genesis, we found out that God has his beginnings. In the book of Exodus, it's all about redemption and uh, escape. In the book of Leviticus, we find out about living holy. In In Numbers, we find out about the trials and tribulations that are a part of life. In Deuteronomy, we find out about God's law. And now in the book of Joshua, we find out about claiming inheritance. And Joshua is the guy that's going to claim the inheritance. Uh, We have it. It's ours. But we need someone to take us to it is the attitude there. And in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, Joshua is the guy. Uh, Immediately, we are uh, introduced to this divine appointment, this person that God says, you're the guy. Uh, Joshua's his name literally means God is my salvation. Jehovah is my savior. And that's what God does through Joshua. He saves his people from the wilderness and brings them to the promised land. Now this book, uh, this book of Joshua is about this person, Joshua, who decides what we've been talking about. You know, how big is your God? Are you going to step up and uh, claim and do and whatever it is? And Joshua does that. But what we find out in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, is when you assume that position of leadership or that place where you say, you know, God, I'm going to work on this habit or I'm going to change this thing in my life. When you make that choice, that decision, there are dangers that are lurking. And in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, we find four dangers uh, that we need to be careful of when we step up for God. So four dangers of stepping up for God. The first danger is found in verse 1 and 2, the danger of looking back. Look at verse 1. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to you and give to them and to the Israelites. 
the danger of looking back. It's Joshua's moment. And God is saying, don't look back, look forward, because he says Moses is dead. Now Moses was very important. Moses is the great legislator, right? He gave us the law. Um, Moses is the great liberator. He delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt and their bondage. He is the great leader that took them through the wilderness and got them to this point where now they can claim the inheritance that God has for them. So this is a great moment for Joshua, but Moses is dead. He's on his own. He's got to do it. Moses is not stepping in. Joshua is. And he can't look back because Moses wasn't going to get into the promised land anyway, right? I mean, if Moses weren't dead, he wasn't going into the promised land anyway. Uh, The reason he wasn't going is, remember the story God said to him, he said, speak to the rock. And Moses got mad at the children of Israel, and instead he hit the rock with his staff. And God said, you know, because of your unbelief in me, you don't get in. And even in in Numbers chapter 33 and 34, you see where Moses keeps asking God, can I go in, please let me into the promised land. And God finally says, listen, don't mention this again. Don't say it again. The answer is no, you don't get into the promised land. So he wasn't going in anyway. So Joshua needs to step up and be the guy that goes in. Now, the easy part here is Moses, right? Moses is dead. He's better off than Joshua, isn't he? I mean, Moses is dead, so therefore he doesn't have to deal with these whiny Israelites anymore. (laughs) Moses is dead. He was 120 years old, so he's pretty pretty sore and uh, have his own aches and pains to deal with. No more. He's in heaven. He's in glory. Number three, he's with God himself, seeing him face to face, experiencing him in his presence. So Moses got the great end of this deal, really. And now Joshua has to go forward. But Joshua is stuck with a group of people. And what do they always do? They always look back. Whenever things get rough, what happens? You left us here to die in the wilderness. Remember, we had the flesh pots that we could eat from. We had leeks and onions in Egypt. Now what do we have to eat? We have nothing. People complaining and whining. That's what the Israelites did. And Joshua has to lead these people, these people who are constantly looking back. It it even carries over into the rebuilding. When when Jerusalem is uh, rebuilt and the temple is rebuilt, in Ezra chapter 3, it talks about how uh, the young people came together and they saw the rubble and the stones of the temple, and they rebuilt the temple. And then they called all the old people and said, come and rejoice with us in what God has done. And what did the old people do? They started complaining. It's not as nice as the one we had in in Jerusalem. It's not as big as it was before. And I'll complain, complain, looking back, always looking back. The danger of looking back. Don't ignore the past, but don't embalm it either, right? I teach history, and so history is important to me. I enjoy history. But one of the things we can't do is step into history and try to relive it. Instead, we use it as a rudder to guide us into the future. That's what Joshua's challenge is here. Uh, The past is not an anchor. And that's what some of us have done. We have anchored ourselves to the past, the way it used to be. We love the way it used to be. Instead of using it as a rudder that guides us into the future, don't ignore the past, uh, but don't constantly live in the past. Even if you have a sin-stained past, sometimes what happens is, you know, uh, we, we talk about our lives and how they were. You don't understand what it was like for me to be in this kind of relationship or to live with this person. You're right, I don't. But the reason why you are no longer there is because God has delivered you. And so instead of the, uh, kind of admiring and constantly looking back and saying, poor me, poor what I've had in the past... Uh, Use it as a rudder to guide you into the future, to say, you know what, I don't want to be that way. And I want to move forward in what it is that God has for me. Uh, Use it as a rudder. 
uh, don't use it as an anchor. You see, when we step up for God, there are dangers, and one danger is we look back. The second danger is found in verse 3. If you look at verse 3, it says this. It says, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. The second danger of stepping up for God is sometimes we, uh, we, we stand still. We stand still. Do you see what is the promise there? The promise is every place you step is yours. Every place you step is yours. Moving forward, not standing still. Uh, too many times that's what happens. We get into a place where we're so comfortable and we love it so much that we want no transitions. We want nothing. We want to stay where we are. This is a great moment. Let's enjoy this. Let's stay here. No, let's not stand still. Let's move forward. Or sometimes what happens is we say, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm waiting on God. Remember what David said in the Psalms? He says, be still and know that I'm God. That's what I'm doing. I'm being still. I'm waiting. Well, if you really understand what's happening in those passages, especially in the book of Psalms, when David talks about being still, he's talking about letting go and allowing God to work and use you. He's not talking about stopping and not doing anything. Uh, same thing with Isaiah 40. In verse 31, he says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and shall mount up with wings as eagles. He's not talking about a waiting room. He's not saying, you know what, you're in a waiting room and just sit in that waiting room and then all of a sudden God's going to marvelously do something. Instead, he's talking about actively seeking and waiting for God to continue to use you. You know, if we use the past as a rudder, then we have to be moving in order for that rudder to work. Have you ever been in a boat that's still? You can move the rudder all you want, and what happens to the boat? Nothing. It's still standing still. But when it begins to move and you use the rudder to guide you, you are moving in the direction that God wants you to be. Progress, moving, changing. There is a dynamic that God wants from Joshua. He wants him to take that step to move forward and not stand still. Uh, This Thanksgiving, I I enjoy Thanksgiving. I I hope that you enjoy yours. Uh, uh, I had 31 people in my house, my my relatives. And in the last 18 months, we've had uh, six babies born in the last 18 months. So you can imagine what it was like, right? When people walk in, People are saying, oh, oh, she's beautiful, she's growing, look how big he is. Oh, I remember when they were so little, now they look so big. Oh, they're walking, they're talking. Oh, your child is three months old, no, he's reading the dictionary. Wow, that's marvelous. It's impressive, you know, all these kinds of things. Right? It's all about progress. If, if my sister walks in with her grandchild and I say to her, looks the same as I saw her in July. She's offended, Right? <laughs> She's offended because, no, there's progress, there's change. These babies are growing up, they're developing. But what happens in our spiritual life sometimes is we are happy for people to say, you know what, I remember when you were like that before. You're the same today as I remember 30 years ago. No, in our spiritual life, we want the same thing to happen. We want to walk with God. We want to talk with God. We want to feed on his word so that we grow, so that we develop, so that we become stronger. So that people say, you know what? I remember the last time you had an encounter where you were you're struggling with this difficulty. Well, now you've handled it better. You see the change? See how you have not stood still, but you have grown. You have developed. You are moving. You see, when you step up for God and say, you know what? You're a big God and I'm going to serve you. Sometimes there is a danger of standing still in that moment and saying, okay, I'm just going to stay here with this. Instead, God says, no. Every place you place your foot, every step you take, 
that's going to be yours. So if you want to possess it, you've got to move. You've got to go. No standing still. Now, I get it. Sometimes we are so busy. You know, Jen made a a great case for, for, for the busyness of life that happens, and I get that. I'm reminded of a story. I have a, a, a friend. He was a missionary in the Philippines for 35 years, and when he was uh, in the missionary, when he was there, uh, he was taken out into the jungle area, and they were walking with a group of native Filipinos, uh, and they're walking and walking, and he said it was just like endless. And then all of a sudden, they're in the middle of this jungle, and all of the Filipino people just sit down and stop. And he walks to the front of the line and he says to the guy that was leading him, he says, and why are we stopping? And the guy looks at him and he says, "Uh, we are stopping so that our souls can catch up with our body, (laughs) right? And I get that sometimes. Sometimes we have to stop so that our souls catch up and so that God can, can kind of remind us we don't want busyness. But still, we don't want that attitude of standing still to carry over into our hope and development as a believer. We want to move forward. The danger of looking back. The danger of standing still. Look at verse 5. gives us the third danger. In verse 5 it says this, No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, The third danger is the danger of giving up. The danger of giving up. Now remember... It was Joshua and Caleb, along with ten others, that scouted out the promised land. And do you remember what the report was? The report was, this is awesome. In fact, they were carrying grapes on a pole between their shoulders, right? That's how big the grapes were. Uh, But then they said, oh, there are giants. We're like grasshoppers to them. And Joshua and Caleb were a part of that. But Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can do this. We can take this. And Joshua says, the Lord is with us. And so here God is saying to Joshua, listen, I was with Moses, I'll be with you. Remember that. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't stop. God is with you. He is there wherever you are. Uh, Joshua is not really into a talking mood. He's in a doing mood. Whereas a leader, he needs to remind himself that God is there. And God has a plan and a purpose and is working that out through him. Remember, he has stepped into that position of leadership. And so as a result of being in that spot, he needs to understand that God is with him. There is never a time where God says, you know what? You're on your own. Never. That never happens. Do we sometimes feel that way? Well, of course. Of course. But that's never the case. Never does God say, you know what? Uh, I, I, I think that I'll sit this one out. And let you handle it on your own. That doesn't happen. It is a reminder that you want your leaders, you want those that are around you, you want them to be able to understand that God is there. I love what he writes here. He says, I was with Moses, I'll be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. You see, God is free from all limitations. There is nothing that limits God. Time, space, nothing that limits him. He is omnipresent, right? Everywhere. Now, we think of it in terms of, like, for example, me. I'm on this stage. I am not everywhere on this stage. And I can try to extend myself so that I'm everywhere on this stage, and it's not going to happen. I mean, if I have another Thanksgiving like I had, I I may be big enough to fit the stage. But I I can't. I can't extend everywhere. And that's how we sometimes see God. We see God, and we think of him as extensive, extending himself. He doesn't have a body. Instead, think of him as intensive, the intensity and the presence that God brings. In the first service, I was talking about Jeff. You know, you, you come in and you, you, you sense Jeff is here. 
because of, of his intensity, because of his enthusiasm, because of what he is as the leader of this place and how his fingerprints are everywhere and you sense his presence. You come in today and you're like, well, wait, something's different. Is, is Jeff here? And then you take out your family news bulletin and you look and you go, oh. <laughs> it's, it's that old guy that teaches school. <laughs> Right, right, honey? He teaches school, right? Okay, okay, together, let's try to think of something nice to say at the end. Because Jeff isn't here. Right? And there's this sense, Jeff's not here. And we don't feel his presence. We don't feel the intensity. We don't feel it. And then it's confirmed by what you see in your family news bulletin. Do you see the difference there? The difference is about the intensity. Think of God in terms of the intensity that he brings. His presence is everywhere. He is here. Sometimes the reason why we don't claim that or hold to that is because of the way we pray. You know, sometimes we pray, God be with us. No, he's here already. His presence is everywhere. Instead, feel it and sense it and know that he's here. He is with us. And that's the promise that he makes to Joshua. He says, I will be with you. Don't give up. Don't quit. There is nothing more that I can do than be here with you. And when I'm with you, you should be emboldened. You should be strengthened by that and not give up. Don't quit. Hang with me. The danger of giving up. The other thing that Joshua finds out, look at verse 6. In verse 6, he says, Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give to them. The other thing about this, you can't give up because it's not about you. When you step into the position where God wants you to be, leadership is not about you, it's about everyone else. And so Joshua can't quit because it's not about him. It's about everyone else. This morning, whenever I I, I speak, I always come in early and we do a sound check. Uh, And I put this little thing on and I stand up here and I say a couple of words. Well, this morning, Jen was here and we're having communion next. And so I said to Jen, I said, what are we doing for communion? And she looked at me like I was speaking a foreign language. And then she says, oh, forgive me, I've been up since 4 a.m. And I'm just not focusing. And I said, you've got to. We need you. We can't do communion without you. (laughs) And so did you see what has happened? She didn't step up because of her. She stepped up because of you. She stepped up because of me. Because communion will be nothing without her. We need her. When you step into that position of leadership, you can't quit. You can't back down. You've got to say, yes, Lord, I get it. It's for somebody else. It's not about me. If it were about you, are you kidding me? I'd be in bed right now with the covers pulled up and the humidifier blowing on me. But it's not about me. It's about you. It's about what God has. And God wants to use me to use you, to give to you. When you assume the position and say that God wants you to be this leader, to be this purpose person, to believe that he's a big God that can do so many things, don't quit. Don't give up. Hang in there because it's not about you. It's about others. Uh, we don't lead to get, but to help. We don't lead to get, but to reach. It's not about us. It's about others. Uh, Joshua and Caleb um, did that very same thing, right? If you remember the story, Joshua and Caleb said, you know what, Uh, we are going to stand with Moses and Aaron and we're going to claim this land for Israel. 
And if you remember, the ten other spies didn't just say, no, we're not going to do this. They went out and they spread through all the other people in Israel. They said to them, these guys are crazy. They're going to get us all killed and all these kinds of things like that. And they mounted up the crowds against them so that here comes the crowd with stones ready to stone Joshua and Caleb and Moses and Aaron. Do you remember that? And what happens? God stepped in. God stepped in, and those ten guys that were a part of it, that uh, were speaking ill of what they were supposed to do and not in on the plan, uh, God gave them the plague and they died. So Joshua doesn't give up because he knows what God can do. Even when it looks like uh, this is the end of it, God steps in. And that's what happens when we understand the promise of God. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He will step in. He will be there for you. He will represent himself in such a way that is faithful to his promises. Uh, look at verse uh, number 6 again of uh, Joshua chapter 1. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. This is a problem that I have. Too many times I want to, an explanation. I want the question why answered. Too many times. But the thing about God being with us and God working his plan, sometimes all he gives us is his promise. And that's what he gets here. He gets a promise. God promises Joshua they will get the inheritance. Wait, no, that's not good enough. How are we going to do this, God? You you see, Joshua had been in the land. He had seen the giants. So instead of just telling me that they will get it and that you will be with me, how about giving me a battle plan? How about give me an outline? I want to know what you're going to do and how you're going to make this happen. No, I'm promising you. I promise you this is going to happen. And too many times we don't want that. We don't want the promise. We want the explanation. God, explain yourself to me. Wait a minute. He's God. He doesn't have to explain anything. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. But what he always does is provides us with a promise of his presence in our life so that we can fulfill the plan that he has for us. Uh, Joshua, don't fall into the trap of giving up. And please notice the fourth danger in verses 8 and 9. The fourth danger is the danger of taking over myself. In Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says this. Verse 8 says, Do not let this book of the law... Depart from your mouth, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. I've been teaching school, it's 20, I think 21 years, and uh, when I went back to uh, get my certification, uh, I had to do a teaching lesson. And the topic that I was given was World War II. And so my wife, um, she was uh, working, and she was an um, elementary school teacher. So she took me into this place called the media, whatever, and we, we punched out letters, and we uh, glued them to little pieces of cardboard. We laminated them, and then we took pieces of uh, tape, uh, magnetic tape, put them on the back. And so I had all these words. I have axis. I had... Um, Um, uh, different words, I can't think of them now, but anyway. And they're all on these little pieces of paper. And so when I was giving my lecture, I would flip them up onto the board, right? That was 22 years ago. 
If I did that in class today, you know what the students would do? What, is your computer broken? (laughs) What, what? (laughs) Things have changed technologically in the classroom. I'm not kidding. I mean, I have some students that had me when I first started, and I used to lecture for 40 minutes a bell. I mean, I, would, I, had, I, I was in love with PowerPoint, and PowerPoint, you know, I would go up and I would lecture 40 minutes every bell, every day, five days a week. That's what I did. Now, if I lecture more than 15, they're catatonic, right? I mean, they lose their minds. And phones, I love phones. I, I'm, I love my phone. I, I'm glad we have phones. And in my classroom, I, I let them keep their phone because you know what happens after eight minutes? You, you know, testing is the worst day in my class because on test day, I tell the students, put your phones in a box because I just think it's easier for them. And you know how it is. I mean, they can hardly wait to get the test done because they want to get their phone. They can't live without their phone. Technology is wonderful. I love technology. And it's done great things. You know, it's amazing. You, you know, I, I get up in the morning and I open my Twitter account and I f- find out everything that's happened, right? And I find out how many people are unhappy still with everything, not just the election, but Michigan. They lost. What? I don't get it. They can't let it go. But that's what happens. Immediately, you know what's going on. And I love technology. The problem, though, is that I start looking for solutions in technology, right? There's got to be an app for that. There's got to be an app for that. And so I think that I can take care of it because surely somewhere on my phone, somewhere they've got this that will fix something. And so I take control of it. We forget and get so impressed by technology and we are in awe of technology instead of being in awe of God. The danger of taking over is this sense that, you know, this is the 21st century. I can fix everything. You can't. You can't. Some things don't have an app for that. Some things don't have a website for it. Some things are just open the word of God and remind yourself of what he's capable of doing. You know, the Psalms are great for a broken heart. Reading the book of Psalms is great for a broken heart. Yeah, but isn't there like uh, helpmedoctor.com or something like that I can go to? No, how about remembering how awesome God is? You see, Joshua took control on two different occasions. The first occasion happens very quickly. He sent out a group of people to do a statistical analysis of AI. Do you remember that? They go into AI and they look around and they see that AI is this small place. There aren't very many people. They come back and they tell Joshua, you know what, we don't don't need to send our whole army. And so Joshua goes, okay, fine, we we won't send our whole army. And so they send a a small group, a little battalion of, of troops, and they get beat badly and embarrassed because Joshua took over. He should have had a prayer meeting instead of a statistical analysis. He should have stopped and said, God, what do you have for me? And maybe then he would have discovered that there was someone in the camp that was sinning, that needed to be dealt with. But instead, he he took it on himself. The other time that he did it was when the Gideonites, uh, the Gideonites were a group of people, and they heard about Joshua and his fearsome army, and they were so afraid, and they said, you know, we've got to get out in front of this. And so we, we've got to pretend like we aren't neighbors, but that we've come from a far country. So they, they got old moldy bread, they got old dirty shoes and clothes, and they ripped them and, and made themselves look like they had traveled a great distance. And they came to Joshua, and Joshua started looking at all the things that were around him, Instead of stopping and saying, God, what is it that you want from me? Two times. Both ended badly. You see, we don't need to take over. 
uh, we need to submit and to realize that God has something for us. You see, clearly from Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, the tools for success are divine. The tools for success are of God, his presence and his word. If we engage those two things, then we will not take over ourselves. A great reminder that Joshua had is found in Joshua chapter 5. In Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, Joshua has this encounter. Verse 13 says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. If you remember, after Ai, they they had to take down Jericho. And Jericho was a, a formidable city with walls around it. And so they've got to figure out, how are we going to take that city? And here Joshua, he encounters this man. And you don't have to be a biblical scholar to know that when a sword is drawn, that means that they're ready to, to, to fight. And so here's this guy standing with the sword. And Joshua says this. He says, are you for us or for our enemies? And this person that's standing there with the sword says, I'm neither. Neither. Instead, he says, I am the commander of the Lord's army. I have now come to you. And Joshua, as soon as he heard that, fell on his face before that guy. Uh, that guy was an, uh, an Old Testament manifestation of Christ. That's a, another thing. But uh, anyway, there he is. And he says, I'm, I'm not for the enemy and I'm not for you. I'm the Lord's commander. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua falls on his face and, the guy says, and, and Joshua then says this, What message does my Lord have for a servant? You see, when you are encountering the difficult things, the challenges of life, that's the question, isn't it? God, what do you have for me? What do you have in your word for me? What does this say to me that will help me get through the thing that I have? You see, in that moment, Joshua discovered that he's not alone. There's someone there with him fighting. Don't take this yourself, Joshua. We've got this together. And the second thing in this verse, you, you can see what happens. He says, the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. You see, everywhere we are, Every step that we take, we are taking control of land and place that's sanctified, set apart by God. It's holy. Treat it with reverence and respect because God is in that moment wanting to do something with you. And, and finally, it, he's got an angel of the Lord on his side. What chance do the people of Jericho have? None. And in that moment, he finds that he has the victory. The danger of taking control. Joshua, don't do that again. <laughs> Instead, realize that you have God as your leader and commander-in-chief. I think it's obvious. If you fall down on your face before God in private, you'll be able to stand before men in public. And that's what happened, right? Joshua falls down before God. What is the message? And then he faces the great enemy of Jericho, and the walls come crumbling down. This morning, you have stepped up. You have stepped up. Beware of the dangers and embrace the presence and the power of God through his word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the goodness of your grace. The goodness that allows us to open your word and to share it. We pray, Father, that we would focus on you and what you are capable of. And focus on the deliverance and the abilities that you can bring to us. We love you, Lord, and thank you for this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to uh, move into a time of communion.
the communion is a, an opportunity for us to be uh, tangibly reminded that Jesus Christ died for us. He broke his body. He shed his blood. And as you are uh, going to go back and take these uh, items, I'm hopeful that you will remember what Jesus did for you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, it says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He died that I might be forgiven. Let me pray and then make your way back to the elements and partake and spend a moment with these thoughts. Lord, thank you for your son who died for us. And thank you for this memorial service where we can remember what he did for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Together, Father, thank you so much that you are a good God. You have provided a way of forgiveness for our sins through your son, Jesus Christ. You have provided a way for us to find our path and our purpose through the word of God. Help us to use those things this week to move us where you want us to go. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful week.